0: Visit AscentEquityGroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T EquityGroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: Don't just do it just because you think you're supposed to have an actual goal in mind as to why you're getting this person. So you're not wasting that person's Mm -hmm. time, wasting your time and your money to be spent on actually getting education elsewhere doing your first deal or, or whatever it is
2: best ever listeners before we get into today's episode are you looking for some financing maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects are you looking to grow your fix and flip business well guess what got a solution for you it's fun that flip you know fun that flip matt rodak the founder of fun that flip has been on the show multiple times he's a friend of mine and they love working with the best ever listeners they they provide short term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com. That's F U N D T H A T F L I P. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. Joined with me today, Theo How you doing, sir? Doing great, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to be partnered up with you again on follow along Friday. And
1: how do we want to approach today? a couple of listener questions, but I I wanted to first hit on a main topic for today, which is about finding advisors and mentors. So I know something that you talk about a lot is the fact that in order to become a, we're talking about multifamily syndication specifically, in order to become an apartment syndicator, you either need past success in business or past success in real estate. Mm -hmm. And if you got past success in real estate, obviously you can use that and leverage that for syndicating, but if you have business success, you can also use that. But you also need some sort of tie-in of, of real estate so that your investors know that you know what you're doing, or have someone on the team that knows what you're doing, and you know you know what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously you've got the education aspect of it for the syndicator themselves, but it's also good to have an advisor and mentor to leverage their experience and also other benefits as well. And I know that you've have had advisors and mentors in the past. Since I wanted to have a conversation around that about where you find them what benefits do you get, how many have you had, and things like that. So however you want to approach the subject of how to find an advisor or mentor for real estate. I have had three
2: total paid advisors over my real estate investing career. And one of those three I still am paying and still work with. And he is more of a mindset, just strategy less of a tactical q a for Mm -hmm. real estate deals i have a network around me with people who have more experience than i have on real estate deals my business partner has been in the industry frank longer than i have been in the industry and he has quite frankly more relevant experience in Mm -hmm. asset management and underwriting And so he's also someone who is on my team and we're partners. As far as how to find the best real estate mentor or consultant, there's really only one way. And that one way is through a word of mouth referral. Mm -hmm. That's it. And how I found my three were not through word of mouth referrals. And I'd say the first two pros and cons and the third one pro but I found him through the Tony Robbins program and so through that program I watched Tony Robbins video on Mm -hmm. on his TED talk video then I had heard from other people who I knew that the Tony Robbins program was a good program so I guess secondarily it was through word of mouth but no one directly said go talk to this person but it was through a program that I already heard good things yeah. about. As far as why I say word of mouth referral is the only way well that's the best way to qualify someone if you go through someone who you already know and they're like yeah it's worked well for me you mm-hmm. should check this out too. You can read books and reach out to the authors you could Go on bigger pockets and see who's posting a lot or has insightful things to say. But ultimately, it's important not only for someone to be qualified, but they've got to have some other things as a mentor consultant. But I want to mention a couple things on what to expect from a consultant or mentor and what not to expect. Because a yeah. lot of times when we think of hiring a mentor consultant, we Think of them being our knight in shining armor. And they're not. So let's talk about what we shouldn't expect from them. We shouldn't expect them to be the solution to our problems. We shouldn't expect them to have a done-for-you program where, oh, you sign up with me and I got it all taken care of. You sit back, you hang out, and just follow this thing and be semi-engaged and you'll be a millionaire, because that's just not true. And if it is true, best case scenario, let's say it's 100% true, then when you become a millionaire through that type of program, well, I'll just ask you, what happens to most of lottery winners 10 years later? They've lost it all. Or they lost it all, or, or, or worse. Or worse. <laughs> or, or, or they're dead. Most likely much worse. Yeah, most likely much worse. Unless you improve yourself, along the way regardless of what chunk of money you receive you're going to be back to where you started or worse so even if it is a quote-unquote dumb for you program end quote then you're still going to be where you were but you're gonna have less years of your life to figure it out yeah so don't look for the dumb for you programs if someone promises it even if they're telling the truth which you're likely not you're going to be worse off Instead, here's what you should expect from a program. You should expect someone to have expertise in the subject matter that you're looking to get better at. You should expect someone who is actively doing that subject matter. So if it's apartment investing, when's the last time they close? If it's wholesaling, how many wholesale deals do they personally do? Mm -hmm. Not their students, they personally do. If it's fix and flips, same thing note buying same thing there should be a system but it's a proven system that others have replicated through implementing the system not done for you but a proven step-by-step system for how to do it you should expect to have an ally for your business for your transactions and most importantly You should expect to have an ally who you can selfishly talk about what you need help with and not feel guilty Mm -hmm. for only talking about what you need. And that's key because some people have the mindset, I don't want to pay for a consultant. And that's cool. I get it. You know, whatever. There's no one path. The challenge with that thought process, if you want to achieve at a really high level, is that you're going to need to bounce ideas off of people. You're going to need to have questions about how to structure certain things, deals, contracts, whatever. And while you certainly should be consulting attorneys and CPAs along the way where they're relevant, there's going to be some gray area for stuff that you just need help with on that particular stuff. And when you continue to go to one person who you're not paying then there's not gonna be that value exchange unless they're just incredibly nice. Maybe they're older, they're just looking to give back. Maybe they're a family member, that's different, right? Family member, they're probably gonna be more willing to do this, but eventually you're gonna hit a point where you've exhausted all of your karma points or the outreach that you can do and they're gonna be wanting something to return or you're gonna turn them off and you're gonna hurt that relationship. So when you do have a consultant or a mentor, You pay them, or you give them part of a deal, or however it's structured, and that allows you to selfishly just ask them, hey, what do I need to do right here? And just keep asking them, because you're compensating them. And then the fourth thing would be connections. You should expect to receive connections Mm, from the consultant or mentor, and real estate is a relationship business. It's about people, it's not about transactions. Everyone who's in it for the long run, and who has success in the long run, gets that. I just finished a book by Sam Zell. I've mentioned it before, but I just finished it now. It's called Am I Being Too Subtle? And he talks about how he always sets up his business transactions so that people want to do business with him in the future. Therefore, if he can get something at a price that he knows he'll make a lot of money, but the other person won't make any, he'll actually decrease the amount Mm. of profit he gets so that they win a little bit He wins, and they want to continue to do business with him in the long run. And that's the way to approach business and life in general. You'll just be a happier person. So to recap, the four things to expect from a consultant or mentor, one, expertise on the subject that you're doing and make sure that they're actually doing it. So that's one. Two, they have a system for doing it, and others have replicated those results. That's something Tim Ferriss talks about a lot. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be an expert. And to have an accomplished background in whatever your profession is. It's a whole nother thing to actually be able to replicate those results for other people. So a system for doing so. Three, having an ally who you can selfishly ask a bunch of questions to and not feel self-conscious about not giving something back yeah. because you are giving back. And four, relationships or connections. Those are four things to expect. What not to expect? A knight in shining armor. They're not someone who is going to just magically wave a wand. Now I've turned the knight into a wizard. I realize that. But magically wave a wand and then it's done. Just don't do the dumb for you programs. If they just say, oh, you just pay this much and it's pretty much you sit back and be done. Don't do that because even if it does work, you're going to be worse off in five years than you were when you began. So going back to how you find it, the one-way word-of-mouth referral, and if you don't know someone who can provide you a word-of-mouth referral, then guess what? You're not ready for a consultant because you haven't done your legwork on – having enough of a network to be integrated or involved in that industry. If you don't know enough people in that industry where people can't say, oh, you should work with so-and-so, then you're not ready for that mentor step anyway. You need to work more on the foundation of the business, learn more about the fundamentals, and attend more meetups and attend more
1: seminars and conferences about whatever you're focused on. So after they do that, they kind of get their education and they're working on their network. Would that be the time they get a mentor advisor, or advisor? should they have done a couple of deals first, like smaller deals or shadowed on deals? Or when do you think would be the ideal time to find an advisor? And you can say, you know, based off of when you found your first advisor. Yeah, once you know the fundamentals of the business, if you're asking
2: questions to the advisor that can be easily found through a Google search, then you're not ready. Mm-hmm. But if you're at the point now where it's like, okay, I get it. And I've got the following things working for me. You've got two, three things. Maybe you got some money but need help finding the right market or you have the right market. You just need help getting access to more money. But you know how to run the numbers. You know the fundamentals. Then I'd say it's time. Basically, one of my favorite books is The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. And he's a psychologist. And there's like a whole series, Road Less and Beyond, further along the road. He got a little <laughs> carried away on the, the title. But he talks about when you need to see a psychiatrist, and this is relevant to what you just asked. Yeah. When you need a psychiatrist is when you feel stuck. When you've done what you can do, but you're just stuck. That's when it's time to bring on a professional or an expert in the area
1: to help you out. So that's what I would say. There's another piece of advice Um, i know something i really liked about your mentor now is that he's a very outcome oriented so if you have a specific outcome in mind you know exactly why you want to have a coach because you want to have this outcome that's quantifiable and specific then maybe that's also another sign that you're ready to have a mentor versus i know i want to be a real estate investor so i'm gonna get a get a mentor just because yeah i'm supposed to so i guess my point is is Don't just do it just because you think you're supposed to have an actual goal in mind as to why you're getting this person so you're not wasting that Mm -hmm. person's time wasting your time and your money when they can be spent on actually getting education elsewhere doing your first deal or or whatever it is
2: Uh, that's a great point for every one of my calls where someone applies to my consulting program at the beginning of the call i always say i want to make sure that we accomplish whatever you're looking to accomplish on this call so what is your outcome for a call yeah. And I do that not only for people who apply, but then outside of that for other types of business calls, I do that. And I make sure that we accomplish the outcome that they want to accomplish. And then if something works for us, it does. If it doesn't, whatever. I help someone accomplish their outcome. We got to know each other, and then we'll just go all in our separate ways, yeah. and then everyone's happy. Two thumbs up. Cool.
1: Awesome. All right, so now we move on to a couple of listener questions. So we've got Nick, who asked his question actually last week on follow-up Friday, and he wanted to know what is a better investing strategy between being leveraged versus having the entire property paid off. So I guess that would be buying it all cash up front. Well, it's clear that having leverage, you will have a
2: better cash on cash return. That's obvious. However... I don't think it's a matter of a black and white debate on it because mm-hmm. the numbers are numbers. That's why there are loans to help you have better cash on cash return. I think that's why there are loans, but that's one purpose loan serve. The real question is what type of risk tolerance do you have and what's your investment philosophy? Because that ties into if you should buy all cash Or if she had a loan and have some leverage. Or a third option, have some leverage and then just aggressively pay off the loan. It's a matter of your risk tolerance. I can tell you that after speaking to people who lost it all in 2008 on my podcast, a lot of those people are now buying houses in cash and not having loans Mm -hmm. And they went the complete opposite of what the extreme they are at before. And perhaps there's a middle ground they should be doing, but there's something to be said about being able to rest at night knowing that regardless of what happens, banks don't have anything on me because I own all my properties free and clear. And again, it's not about returns because that's not a debate. You get better returns with leverage. And the tax benefits because you write off the interest and some other things.
1: And the mortgage pay down from the, the actual residence. That's yeah. One my, that's one of my, I guess, favorite aspects of Right, they the pay. They're paying down the loan. They're paying the loan for you.
2: So there's not a debate on that. It's a higher level question of what's your risk tolerance? Because there is more risk when you have a lender. There is. And with that risk tolerance, what do you choose to do? And right now I can tell you all of our apartment communities obviously have a loan on them because that gets the returns that we need just to return to our investors and to have successful transactions. If we paid all cash for the deals, then we would be making maybe whatever the cap rate is, yeah. right? <laughs> so 5 6 7%, whatever that particular deal is. And that just doesn't work. So we do leverage for apartment communities. For my single-family homes, I do have loans on them. But I am wrestling with this question myself on my single-family homes. I only have three houses. And I could pay them off. I haven't yet. And I don't know if I will or won't. Financially, it's not a smart decision to pay them off. But from a peace of mind standpoint,
1: it's kind of nice. So that's really the question. Those are the things to think about. Yeah, something else I'm just just thinking of right now, and and let me know what you think about this, but if you do also have them paid off completely, and let's say the market is to take some sort of dip, then not only are your properties themselves safe because you don't have a loan on them, but then you have access to all that equity, all the properties around that area. People are potentially getting foreclosed on or can no longer buy those properties. You can take a loan against your property to buy those properties and then get a loan at that point. I guess the fact that you have access to that equity still, that you can, if you need to and you want to take a loan against that or home equity, on a credit, whatever you want to do, you have that option too, whereas technically you have it if you have a loan, just depending on how much you've paid it down, but you definitely have access to equity if you pay it off completely. So and
2: one asterisk on that would be if the market tanks and you own them free and clear, it'd be more challenging to get a loan on your investment properties so one thing you could do in that scenario or planning for that scenario if you do pay them off but you're thinking about doing that is talk to a credit union and see if you can get a line of credit Mm -hmm. and use those free and clear homes as collateral and do that when things are nice and rosy that way you've got this access to line of credit now the line of credit could disappear at any point in time from the credit union if things go south in the market But at least you're planning a little bit ahead to leverage that equity without actually tapping into it prior to something bad happening.
1: Yeah. And the next question is from City Park Properties. And he asks if we can... He or she. He or she (laughs) asks, can you explain the difference between a broker who can offer off-market deals and a real estate agent, who I'm assuming he means will only offer the on-market MLS deals. He or she. He or she. <laughs> <laughs> you wanna take that one? From my understanding, as you create a relationship with brokers, they'll have their on-market deals, but obviously those deals were off-market when they got them. And so if you have a relationship with brokers, you can gonna have deals sent to you before they actually go live. And so, from my understanding, the difference would be not necessarily the person themselves because they would be doing both at the same time. It's just how much of a relationship do you have with this person or how much of a reputation do you have as an investor that they would be comfortable giving you this deal before they actually put it on the market. Now, I'm not sure if there's brokers that just do off-market deals and that's it. I don't know, but from my experience so far, that's what I found is that they'll have their on-market deals, obviously, but if you know them well enough, you can get access to that beforehand. I also know for smaller deals, they've got like the pocket listings, that's a well known thing where if you know an agent, they will have a deal that they don't put on the market because they know that you're interested in. I guess from personal experience, two of the three properties I bought were off market and then one was on market. So obviously that same real estate agent had five deals, two on market and then three off market that he wasn't ready to put on market yet for, I think it was like tax purposes for the seller or something. But this, the fact that I knew that guy was really the only reason I got these properties. Mm-hmm. If I didn't know who he was, I wouldn't have seen him posted on Facebook, and I wouldn't have had his phone number to reach out to him and call him and say, hey, I want to see this property, and I want to learn about the other properties off-market. So it's basically just the difference is do you know them or not, mm-hmm. and do you have a good relationship with them. And if you do, you will have access to more deals than you would if you're just some random guy that they don't know. Nailed it. Completely agree. All right, so that wraps up the main topics, listener questions. Next, we're going to move into just some updates and observations from the past week. So, do you got anything for your, for your uh, business updates just, or observations?
2: Yeah, just closing approximately December 5th on the 304 unit. We are closing out our due diligence. We've been doing due diligence, mm-hmm. and everything looks good. Really, we're sending out the private placement memorandum. To investors most likely today or tomorrow that got finalized and then we'll just begin funding and everything's good and we're all good there as far as other property updates we're exceeding our rents from our projections across the board on every one of our properties so things are going well I nothing really stands out I mentioned I finished the book Mm-hmm. Uh, Am I Being Too Subtle? And now I'm reading a book from the 1970s called Coma and it's like a psychological thriller so it's not in the same genre as self-improvement book. I do recommend Sam Zell's Am I Being Too Subtle? He does a really good job of putting you in the deal while it's happening even though it's already happened and he gives you his mindset for why he structured a deal a certain way. And this isn't just real estate deals, it's larger deals. He talks about losing a hundred million dollars of his own money plus millions and millions, he doesn't mention how much, of investor money on a cruise line venture that went south after nine yeah. eleven. And he talks about having to file bankruptcy for the company that owned the Chicago Cubs and Chicago Tribune and some other entities. So he talks about failures and he also talks about a lot of success and how he structures the organization based on meritocracy Mm -hmm. versus just tenure or whatever. It's what have you produced and how he expects his employees to be entrepreneurial. He's a billionaire and it's important to at least when a billionaire talks to hear what they have to say and then decide if it's relevant to you or not. And as a real estate investor, I recommend other real estate investors read
1: this book because it is a lot of relevant stuff. Nice, cool stuff. My business, I've got one lesson learned about boilers. It's lesson first. Whenever I buy a property, look at a property, before I even put it under contract, I'm going to have this new guy that I met (laughs) come in and at least look at the boiler and then look at individual radiators in the units. Can I guess the price? Yeah, I guess. Forty five hundred. For what I'm to gonna re- pay to replace the boiler. No, 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 it's more than that. Ninety five hundred. So I know someone who sent me a quote that they got back in two thousand thirteen and it was eighty one hundred dollars to replace oh. his boiler, but the guy that I had come in said 'cause I think that was just for like the actual material, not including labor. He said that expect between ten to fifteen thousand dollars to replace oh. the boiler. Another lesson is you have to do maintenance on it once a year. At least inspect it, clean it up a little bit. Because he was telling me a story. I'll get to my point in a second, but he was telling me a story about how he's working with a church right now that bought a brand new boiler for like $25,000 oh, no. five years ago. And they didn't inspect it or anything. And I guess whether it's condensation or leaking, it basically just like disintegrated because it so corroded. And so they had to replace a brand new boiler that they bought five years ago for $25,000. And obviously they're doing a drive to raise money and things like that. So I've got three boilers in the three different properties. And the story goes, one of them was leaking. I saw like a leak on the ground during the inspection. So in the inspection report or the inspection addendum, we had them had to fix that. And they went in there, and I thought it was fixed, but it wasn't. So another lesson is make sure that they actually fix what they're supposed to fix. And it took them months to actually address the issue. And last week, they finally went in there to you know, fix that? it. The sellers. Boy, I bought the property Oh, from. but you have
2: already purchased it, and the yeah, seller's going it. back in there to fix yeah, it? Yeah, okay. they're going back in there to fix so it. So you closed without them fixing it, but they said, hey, we got your back. We'll come fix it after closing. Don't worry, Theo. Exactly. Okay. Because I thought
1: at the time, it was all hot, how nice of them, but now I'm thinking that they did this for a specific reason, which I'll get into in a second. So they bring in their contractor. It was basically just they cut these pipes, and they replace it. And they go in there, and I guess... They had to refill the boiler with water and then go to each of the individual radiators and, like, bleed them because apparently it's under pressure so there's air in there that they bleed all the air out so that water can circulate through. <laughs> and they go to the first radar, they open up, up, they take it off, and there's, like, this long pipe going up and down with the valve on top. And he sent me a picture of it and it looks like something that you'd find on, like, the sunken Titanic. <laughs> it was so corroded and rusty. And so... He said, I can't even touch this. This is such a hazard since the boiler's under pressure. This could explode at any time. Oh. So if you can't touch this, you have to get it replaced. I was in there yesterday, and they went through all the different individual units. And there's probably, I don't know, three or four radiators per unit. And luckily, only two of them were Titanic status. So they'll have to fix those. But the boiler itself is so old that they told me that you need to start saving up money for this replacement. So the lessons learned are... Have an inspector come in there and look at the boiler and all the individual radiators before buying a property. The boiler contractor that I was working with, he also owns properties, and he said that you could actually get the sellers to do that inspection separately from the regular inspection and have them pay for it. So I'm not sure if I'll do that or not, but I'll definitely have them looked at. And he offered to actually do it and come in and look for me. He was a really nice guy. And then also, obviously, if you have something on the inspection addendum, make sure that you have it addressed before closing because they might not be doing it because they know that you're opening up a massive can of worms. And if they would have addressed that issue prior to closing, we'd have found out that replace a couple of radiators and that the boilers potentially need to be replaced as well. Mm. The silver lining here, from my perspective, is two things. Number one, I'm glad we found this problem now and not in the middle of winter mm-hmm. because I don't even know what people do if their heat goes out in the middle of winter because you're obligated by law to obviously provide heat. You'd be running up there with portable heaters. You buy yeah. a CVS, or putting them in a hotel, or putting them in a hotel. Yeah, I'm that was number one lesson, and I guess silver lining. And the number two was I had them look at the other boilers near other properties, and they were in much greater shape Whew. than this boiler. So I'm still going to have them go and inspect each individual radiator because obviously if the owner neglected the radiators in the one unit, I'm expecting it to happen in the other unit. And we've already had complaints about the boiler not working one of the buildings. But yeah, fortunately, the only boiler that he believes I'll need to replace anytime in the near future is in the one unit where the other two are newer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, boilers are interesting. <laughs> what, to
2: find the right inspector, what should a best-ever listener search for? Or who should they ask to inspect the boilers? Because you said you already had it inspected,
1: yeah, but so it didn't. It wasn't sufficient. I asked the HVAC guy that was there with me yesterday, and I asked him, like, you know, how did the, my general inspector not catch this? and based off of what was involved to do the inspection, it wasn't much, but it involved moving furniture and pulling off the radiator. He said that most inspectors just don't do that. Some of them might, some of them might not. So I guess one thing to do is that when you're doing an inspection, if there is a boiler in the actual property, ask that inspector, like, hey, can you look at these boilers? Or do you have previous experience looking at these boilers? Or you can just get a boiler of inspection from an HVAC company, so it's Google HVAC service city name, mm-hmm. and then call up and say, hey, do you have experience with boilers? Do you do maintenance on boilers? Do you inspect boilers? And then go from there. According to this boiler guy, he could have just been selling me, but he said, not a lot of people look at these things anymore. I'm so glad we found each other. So I just found him just because of the issue in my property and he was just the guy that the seller found. And so I kind of just got lucky by finding this guy. But yeah, if you need to find someone, either ask the inspector who's going to do your general inspection if they can look at the boiler and if they know how to look at boilers, and if not, just find a HBC company to do a separate inspection. Okay. Good lesson. They, it sucks for you, but, you it <laughs> but
2: good lesson. <laughs>
1: In the long run, it will be a good lesson for you, and everyone for sure. It's one of those things where you kind of have to go through it to understand, unless you've read a book somewhere where they talk about boilers. Yeah. I literally didn't even think about looking into the boilers or having the boilers inspected. I was like, oh, I guess they just work because people are living here. Mm-hmm. So those little things like that that you don't think about it could be costly. And then it's the other lesson is make sure you get them ongoing maintenance once a year because they can last 40, 50 years if you do that. Mm. So before we wrap up, one last thing that we wanted to start doing is that we've got the best ever Facebook community and each week a grant or social media guy will post different business related questions that will have interaction with people and it's also nice because you kind of see how other people answer these questions based off of their experience and Kind of just get to know each other. And so we were going to start answering these questions ourselves on following Friday. And so this week, the, the question, we'll call it the best ever Facebook community question of the week, was What is your favorite morning routine for daily success and productivity? What's yours? I always have this long drawn on answers. So I was having trouble with having a morning routine because it was more of like individual routines that had a kind of, I would do one. And that would be done, and i have to, like, will myself through the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And so I wanted to find a way where I could just have one trigger that would automatically make me do all of my routines so that I had to think about it. And something I've been doing for the past month, I do this at night, but then I review it in the morning. But I literally write out what I'm going to be doing the entire day. I'm going to wake up at this time, and this is what I'm going to do. And at 8 o'clock, I'm going to do this, and then 10 o'clock, I'm going to do this. And then at noon, I'm going to have a lunch. And then it's working for it. one. It works really wow. well. And it's evolving. Like Now I've got alarms, and so like whenever I'm done with a certain task, the alarm goes off and I move to the next job. So I'm kind of like automating myself so that I am not only doing every single thing that I need to do for the day. At the end of the day, I go back and I essentially just journal exactly what I did right and wrong. It's like, okay, you know, I said I was going to get up at 7, but I got up at 7.30 today, but I still did everything I was supposed to do. And then, oh, I was supposed to read at 9, but... I had this thing come up that I had to do instead so I couldn't read today at all or I didn't go to the gym today because I'm lazy and things like that. And so it forces me to look at my failures instead of just skipping something I said I would do and then just not even thinking about it again. And so that's been very helpful. So at night, I write out my schedule. In the morning, I review it. I set up my alarms in the morning. and Then I do it throughout the day. And so I don't have to think at all throughout the day. And at the end of the day, I think again by journaling about it and trying to make any tweaks. Like, oh, you know, set an alarm or whatever. So that's my routine.
2: After hearing that, you realize what I'm gonna do tomorrow. What do you do? I'm gonna call you randomly 17
1: times throughout the day. On <laughs> <laughs> see, see, see my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> what you, right? <laughs> you doing now,
2: Daniel? What you doing now? You supposed to be talking to me? Are you supposed to do something else?
1: I'll send you a screenshot of it <laughs> every
2: morning. <laughs> uh, things I do every day in the morning for productivity is as soon as I wake up. I have a five-star notepad and I write 15 times I'm a strong confident successful and handsome real estate billionaire entrepreneur. I've been saying that as my incantation or affirmation many years. Recently over I'd say the last 90 days, I've been doing that every single day writing it down 15 times. And I've mentioned that on the show before. Even you know weekends? Even on weekends, every single day. And if I miss a day, because there have been a handful of times where I've missed a day, then I then make up it Mm -hmm. later. So I am caught up to today for the last 90, 120 days. That's awesome. Every day, 15 times. I am a strong, confident, successful, and handsome real estate billionaire entrepreneur. I also drink a liter of water with a scoop of wheatgrass mixed into it every morning when I wake up. I have a daily journal that I write and usually towards the middle or end of the day, I just write whatever's going on that day. It's amazing to go back a year and at this point, I can go back two years with that daily journal. I've been doing it that long and just see what I was doing, what I was thinking that day and see the progress that Mm -hmm. I've made over that period of time. And then I always do some sort of exercise Over the last 90 days or so, I've been doing at least 50 push-ups. In a row? Um, In a row, in a row, yeah, 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 in a row. That's impressive. And in my softball team, Ben, who is Samantha, our team member's boyfriend, he's on my team. And he asked me if I was on steroids, and not because I look swole, but because I've hit a home run in softball last, like, Four games in a row and except for the last game it hit the warning track and they caught it so you know might as well just pop the catcher but I've been nailing home runs and I contribute that to my 50 actually I do 51 push-ups because I want to do 50 and I always do a little bit above so I always do at least 51 push-ups and then usually I do some sort of cardio too so those are things I do for productivity and to get me set for success every day every single day oh and I read at least one section in a book, whether it's a paragraph or whether it's just a couple pages, depending on how boring the book is. But I will always read something, and mm-hmm. that helps build momentum for
1: continuing to read. Yeah. Or did, you, did you mention the Best Ever Conference? Yeah. And, you know, any upcoming interviews we have?
2: We might have updated guests. I don't know. Just go to besteverconference.com. You can see all the guests we have so far and early bird special.
1: You save $100 if you book between now and Halloween. I believe we have podcast Josh Dorkin, Part 1, released this Tuesday. And then we have Part 2 coming up next week. Which is not related to the conference. So. Oh, sorry. I was, I was talking about the upcoming exclusive interviews. I got ahead of myself. Okay. Got it. Yes, Josh, Part 2 is being aired this coming Tuesday. Awesome. And to wrap up, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review for the opportunity to be the review of the week. And this week, we've got Weston Brooks. And he said... Awesome podcast. As a religious listener and a first-time investor, I felt more than confident diving into the real estate world. I've already utilized several tips and techniques he's discussed, and I'm looking forward to expanding. Thanks. Thanks with an
2: exclamation mark. Yeah, a lot of (laughs) exclamation marks in there. I appreciate you listening. Best ever listeners. Enjoyed it. We'll talk to you tomorrow, and have a best ever week. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with bestselling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.